there's a cost of doing the right thing. And there's no way to soften the blow of that. Sometimes it's going to cost you. You have to sort of do that calculation. And hopefully when you and I and others are faced with similar situations, I would hope that we'd be willing to bear the cost as well. A New York Times bestselling book, an HBO documentary. The world has been captivated by the stunning collapse of Theranos and its supposedly wonderkind founder, Elizabeth Holmes, who now faces trial for fraud. But the dramatic twists and turns were never inevitable. They required someone to speak up, to blow the whistle. Professor Jared Harris at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business studies the interplay of ethics and strategy. He has written a series of cases available on Darden Business Publishing covering the role whistleblower Tyler Schultz played to bring down the house of cards Holmes had built at Theranos. He joins us today to share the inside story of what it took to make an ethical stand and how increasingly complex technology will present challenges for ethical leaders. I'm Sean Carr and welcome to Darden Ideas to Action. Jared, thank you for joining us for the podcast. This is such a fascinating story. The cases you wrote really get deep into the heart of it. Let's go over the basics to remind everyone. Let's just start with Theranos. What was Theranos? Theranos was kind of a media darling, considered one of these Silicon Valley unicorns, was started by Elizabeth Holmes, came out of Stanford, was kind of hailed as the next Steve Jobs. And she certainly played the part wearing her black turtleneck. And she had this appeal and, and magnetism to her. The promise of the company was basically to revolutionize the world of medical blood testing. So anyone who's had to go have their blood drawn and knows how unenjoyable that experience is, this was a company that was saying, hey, we're using the ingenuity of Silicon Valley and we're gonna revolutionize this so that with a pinprick of the finger, you can get all of the data you need from a blood test. That's what was promised. So cover of Forbes magazine and huge $9 billion valuation at the peak. And so this was in the spotlight. And I remember all of those cover stories and all the coverage. And I think even to the layperson, it certainly sounded like one of those technologies and companies that was too good to be true. But why did people believe it to be true? Holmes herself, when she would pitch the company, it, it wasn't just that here's the size of the market and we can put Quest Diagnostics out of business or whatever. We can make it a, a more pleasant mm -hmm. blood drawing experience for all the patients in the world. But she actually started from a slightly more visceral place. And she'd sort of stand up and say, how many of you have ever lost a loved one? She kind of went right for the, mm -hmm. for the heartstrings and, and said, the promise of Theranos isn't just that you have a more pleasant blood testing experience, but that we could put one of these boxes in everybody's home. There's no reason that anyone should have a cancer go undetected because access to this kind of readily available, easy, relatively painless blood testing would actually change people's quality of life. I mean, that was the way she pitched this. And I think that's an awfully appealing story. I mean, who, who isn't drawn in by that? VC investors are typically a pretty hard-nosed bunch who don't give in to their emotions. And yet Theranos was pretty well-funded and had a number of all-star names on its various boards and advisors, right? The story's appealing, but you're right. They had to certainly undergo a certain amount of scrutiny. And mm -hmm. I think that gets to the heart of what's interesting about this story to me 
the nature of the technology served to kind of obscure, it made it impossible really for non-scientific types to verify that the technology actually worked. And so there's this information asymmetry. And I think in the end, people had to just sort of trust that there were a lot of smart people on the board and they were drawn in by Holmes's pitch and everything seemed to be in order and everybody went with it. How did all that unravel? How did Theranos sort of get upended? What started that happening? Well, ultimately, there were two primary whistleblowers at the organization, Erica Chung and Tyler Schultz. So it took someone on the inside saying, hold on, wait a second. This stuff doesn't work. This kind of valuation doesn't make sense. Results, blood tests coming out of the scientific output is being falsified. You spent a lot of time with Tyler, and it's come out in a number of the cases that you've written. What was it that he did? What did he reveal? The first thing that Tyler did was ask a question internally about the results. At the outset, in fact, Tyler's very clear about this. He didn't think about it as blowing the whistle on a fraud. He was just trying to make sense of some of the data seemed too good to be true, or he saw some stuff in some of the reports that he questioned. When we use a case like this with a group of executives or with students, I think this is an important thing to kind of focus on, which is you're in Tyler's shoes and you're looking at the data. It's become clear to you that it looks a little bit fishy. So the question is, what do you do? Tyler has lots of options. He could have quit and got a job at another place in Silicon Valley and just gone away quietly. He could have gone along with it as many did at Theranos. He could have immediately gone to a journalist or blown the whistle externally. There's lots of ways to go here. I think Tyler's initial action was to raise the question internally, and that didn't go well. What happened to Tyler at that point? There was an immediate response that only kind of confirmed to Tyler that something was amiss because the response was very defensive. Why are you asking these kinds of questions and that sort of thing? Theranos is in many ways a prototypical example of a company, fraudulent or not, that is intensely technological and technologically advanced. Many of us now work in companies that are increasingly technologically based and technologically supported in ways that most of us probably don't understand, maybe even don't want to understand. Perhaps that's the bigger concern mm -hmm. is if we don't understand the technology, what does that open us up to? The connection between complexity, technology, and then the underlying fundamentals of the business. Is that where these problems can arise? I think you're onto something really important here, which is as the complexity of the business, especially as that is kind of mediated by technology, as that rises, I think it sort of amplifies or exacerbates the potential for these kinds of things to happen. But I think even within that world of new technology companies, there's something a bit different about a company like Theranos for whom the business model and the product, as it were, is sort of impossible to verify or vet for the average layperson. Only a scientist on the inside of Theranos would know if the lab results are unfolding or being generated in a legitimate way. If you use an application like DoorDash, that's a tech company. It's a kind of a media darling tech company. It's one of these unicorn firms. It's experienced a lot of growth. For the average layperson that's ordering dinner, 
you pretty much know whether the dinner shows up or not, right? When you order it, it either shows up or it doesn't. So whether the app works, whether the technology works is sort of verifiable without a bunch of specialized or insider knowledge. I think in Theranos's case, there's just no way to get inside that black box, much like even in the current medical blood testing world that we're all living in. The real one, not the fantasy <laughs> one of Theranos, but the real one. And so that is precisely the challenge, the ethics challenge really that's raised by a business of a profile like Theranos is because it's just impossible to sort of know. In our current cultural moment, faith in technology and faith in companies can lay the groundwork for fraud that is very hard to detect. Yeah. because so much belief goes into this is a good organization and this is good technology, even though we may have zero visibility into whether or not either of those things is in fact true. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's going to increasingly be problematic for all of us. Take something like what they refer to as deep fakes, you know, mm -hmm. the ability to create a video of Sean Carr or Jared <laughs> Harris saying or doing something that looks pretty real. And so in the old days, if there was video of it, you could assume that the video was legit. I do think this is increasingly going to be a problem that society has to grapple with. It's not obvious we can just mm -hmm. trust our own eyes and ears. Therein lies both the power and the importance of a truth teller, like a Tyler Schultz in the case of Theranos. His speaking up eventually brought the House of Cards down. What takeaways can we take now, or takeaways do we have in the case of Tyler Schultz? What, what does this reveal to us? One thing that I think is helpful to think about this story from the perspective of Tyler is that it helps you understand how things play out in an unfolding situation. Imagine a decision tree or a road or a trail that has forks in it. We all sort of know what that looks like. You can visualize that. So if you're Tyler in this situation and your initial question is, well, should I send this email up the food chain at the company and see what they say? Then he gets a certain response. That triggers another set of actions. Eventually he's out of the company and then there's lawyers involved. The stakes seem to keep escalating, right? But at each stage of the game, I think it's fascinating to ask yourself, what would I do? in the situation, not only in the very beginning, but as it unfolds. Maybe it doesn't have to be as dramatic as this multi-billion dollar company and should I be the whistleblower, right? But maybe it's more every day and the stakes might be smaller, but if you're in a situation where you're being asked to do something that seems questionable or unethical, or you're being pressured in some other way, thinking through not only how should I respond, but projecting forward, anticipating what are the second, third order decisions I may have to make here? If I make this choice, what's the worst case scenario at that point? And then what will I do? I think it's useful to try to imagine how this could play out down different branches of the decision tree. And that can inform and improve one's decision making when you're faced with something like this. As you've used this case with students or with executives, what are some of the lessons that you hope that they take away from it? Because it's an interesting story on its own, right? It's just fascinating. What are you looking for others to take away from this set of circumstances? Generally speaking, I think we're all going to deal with challenging dilemmas 
ethically charged situation, something where we feel like values are at play and we've got to now make a choice that might cost us personally. We tend to do better if we've thought about those kinds of things a little bit in advance. This gets to the heart of what we do at the Darden School, not only in ethics, but in every other area. We run students or executives through a series of scenarios and cases to do precisely that. There's a cost of doing the right thing, and there's no way to soften the blow of that, really. Sometimes it's going to cost you. Yeah. Uh, but you have to sort of do that calculation, and hopefully when you and I and others are faced with similar situations, I would hope that we'd be willing to bear the cost as well. Jared, thank you. This has been a really terrific discussion. Thank you for sharing your insights with us today on Theranos and Tyler Schultz's actions and taking a closer look at fraud and technology-based companies today. This is great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm Sean Carr, and that's it for today's episode of Darden Ideas to Action. Jared Harris is a professor at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. His research explores the interplay of business ethics and strategy. Join us next time for more research, analysis, and commentary from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. You can subscribe to Ideas to Action on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. To read more expert insights on this topic and more, visit ideas.darden.virginia.edu. Thank you.